The views, information, or opinions expressed during the Cult for the Culture podcast are solely those of the individuals involved. The content presented is not a substitute for seeking or seeing a licensed mental health professional. Know what's up next, know what's up next. Healthy pleasure with it, Cult for the Culture. Better tune in, better tune in. Big sis, get him, big sis, get him. Cult for the Culture, Cult for the Culture, Cult. Hey y'all, welcome to the Cult for the Culture podcast. I'm your host, Tiana Renee, the Culture's Advocate. On this show, we have solo and interview-based episodes with individuals from different walks of life who are dedicated to being the change within the culture as it relates to various topics and their effects on the world of mental health. Today, I have a very special guest by the name of Herson Sanchez, and I would like to welcome Herson to the Cult for the Culture podcast. Welcome, Herson. Appreciate you having me here. Excited to get into this conversation. I'm excited to have you here, too. So we started talking about a little bit before we jumped on the show, all the work that you're doing. So I know that you run a show now called Woke Wednesdays. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I started Woke Wednesdays uh, January 25th, 2017, uh, right after Trump was uh, inaugurated. And I think Trump, for many of us, has been kind of like an alarm clock or maybe an activator of sorts um, to really kind of pay attention to what's going on in the world. Uh, Obama brought in this kind of like interesting eight years where it, politics started to become kind of like cool. Like people, it was like a social activity that people engaged in. But then with Trump, it became really scary for a lot of us. Um, so I had just started my PhD, uh, my PhD program, and I wanted to share with people what I was receiving in the classroom. So I wanted to share the ideas and books stuff like that. So I started doing this thing called Woke Wednesdays and little by little it just kind of morphed into a show. I did a show every single Wednesday for like two and a half years. I did like over 100 episodes. The page has grown to almost 50,000 followers on Instagram and it's it's crazy. Like it's just blown up. Um, so I took a while, from, a, a break from doing the show for a while and then I recently started doing it again because as you know, I'm sure this stuff is exhausting um, and it's taxing and just trying to do activist work can really take a toll on your mental health uh so i had to take a little step back um but now i'm back to doing it again yeah well shout out to you for taking a break because it is hard and i don't think that people i think they get so caught up and interested in what we're talking about that they don't understand the preparation that goes behind it and the emotional turmoil because most times the topics that you discuss are topics that are close to home and so there's a lot of stuff that has to go into that. So I, I definitely understand. This is my third season and I took about five-ish, maybe six months off. So it's like, I just need a second to reset myself and decide what's the next thing that we're gonna advocate for next season. So I definitely get it. So with that being said, what's your favorite self-care practice to keep you Check this out. Uh, well, I, well, I started working out like two years ago um, and I've never really been like a workout person. And that was cool. But then when the pandemic started, I noticed I was drinking and smoking a lot. Um, and that became really unhealthy. Like I just, it was bad. Uh, and how do you cope with like a once in a lifetime global pandemic? Like, okay. And in the midst of that, for. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And then in the midst of that, you have the constant, uh, just violence of police brutality. And so there was just like so much stuff like being piled up, piled up on each other, and 
So I just took to being unhealthy about it. Um, but then I started running in August. And I think August, I mean, running has been like a great outlet for me. Uh, so since August, I've been running like 50 miles a month in addition to my regular workouts. So I think that's been a place where I kind of just kind of take to myself. I don't talk to anyone. I don't even play music when I run. It's like, just run. Um, so it's yeah, been great. Support yourself. Yeah. Well, any anything that can release endorphins is going to help with your mental health and your stability just because we're so stressed all the time. And you're right. There's lots, lots of stuff, stuff happening in whether it's in the world or the media, whatever the case may be, we're being thrown with different stuff all the time. Even the topic that we're discussing today is a very heavy topic, but yet still something that we're all dealing with and we're all seeing, especially with the administration that we're thankfully walking out of. Thank God. <laughs> okay. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So with everything that's going on, and before I jumped, I'm about to ask you questions already because I'm excited. Oh, but... you're good. You're good. <laughs> because he does a lot of advocacy work like he he mentioned it but he's not saying in full detail what he does on his show um but I was really excited to get him to come and talk to me about just the crisis right now that's going on with immigration with the Latinx community within the United States and we know that there's a lot of hate a lot of bigotry that has happened just within the last four years that has been mind-blowing for me um and somebody who which I don't even know if a lot of people know this, but like my mom is black, but my dad is Puerto Rican. And so it's a part of me that a lot of times I struggle with because I don't feel like I have that connection as much, but I'm connected enough to know like, this is not okay. And these are people that I know, my family that can come over here and have to deal with certain things as well. And so it was something that I wanted to shed more light on. Like Code for the Culture is about population yeah. and populations. And so this is a population that I felt was appropriate so with everything that's going on, what's your take like on the climate right now with, I know it's probably very loaded, but. <laughs> yeah, well, first and foremost, just thank you for, for doing this. I think we need as many voices as possible, especially black women. Black women have been at the forefront of just so many amazing movements in the United States that are have been needed. Without black women, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. Um, so just thank you for everything that you're doing. This is very important. Um, but and I think I guess to start with the question, uh, I didn't know you were half Puerto Rican, so that's cool. Um, <laughs> but it is it, it makes me wonder too about how sometimes we feel like we have to share or be a particular identity to begin to care. Um, I think we should be caring regardless exactly. of how you identify. Um, just on the basis of I believe everyone just should be able to live a life of dignity uh, and respect and like that that's my politics my politics is very simple i just believe everybody should be treated with dignity and that's pretty much it um so whoever whatever our social identity you occupy i'm just down you know just to to fight and join together in the cause but i think as far as it relates to latin people latinx hispanic whatever we're calling ourselves uh it's this is nothing necessarily it, the oppression of people is nothing new. Um, and, I, and I think 1790 was the year the United States actually um, passed a law where they said that citizenship would be granted to free white persons. This is 1790. So 1776 is when uh, the United States started as a country. 
1790 is when this law was passed. About a little over 100 years after that, in the 1920s, we see that uh, a new category for personhood was created, which was the illegal immigrant. So the illegal immigrant was created in the 1920s, along with border control. So when we think about who gets to be and who doesn't get to be, this question has constantly been, I guess, in contention, especially in the United States, when we see um, just transatlantic slavery, when we look at the genocide of, of indigenous populations. So when we think of immigration, uh, and we that very concept is created for particular political purposes, intended to allow some people to be and some people not to be. So I think for me, I'm constantly thinking of who is granted access to life. And when you look at all these movements, whether it's Black Lives Matter, whether it's rights for trans people, whether it's undocumented, whatever movement you want, uh, it's really about access to life, to access to life of dignity. So how do I feel about this? I, I feel terrible about this, obviously. Um, I just, I don't like people being uh, the targets of violence, period. So, so yeah, it's a, it's a terrible thing that's going on, um, especially when you see the way the president has used their platform to, to incite violence. Uh, so like my dissertation work uh, is about political activism. And when you look at the word activism, uh, the etymology of the word, the root of the word means to move someone in a particular way, to to move them forth in, in, in a type of way. So the president, I would say that has he's literally activated people or reactivated people to move in certain ways, in ways that are violent and xenophobic. Uh, so yeah, it's it's pretty terrible. Um, so I guess that's where I would... <laughs> That's what I would say my thoughts are. It, this, it, it's just horrible. It's horrible. Uh, how else do you put that into words? Sometimes language is inadequate to describe the feelings, uh, but I guess here we are. Yeah, no, and I, I feel you 100% on that. And this is something that I've struggled with a lot, even like you brought up the Black Lives Matter movement, to think that people really have to fight just for the right to live is beyond me. And it's, it's something yeah. that I like every day when I think about it. And it's gotten to the point where like, I really have to check myself in certain environments because I'm to the point now where I'm, I'm not standing for it. I'm not doing this. I'm not going to let you speak any kind of way about any group or, you know, and so it gets to be exhausting yeah. at some point to feel like day in, day out, no matter what you do, somebody else is one step ahead with something else to put you back down. And so it definitely is something that breaks my heart, especially when I think about the camps that they've set up or detention centers that they've set up around the United States to house people. And as a trauma therapist, I can't help but to think about the children and what that does to a child's development to be separated and ripped from their parent and how they will go through the rest of the world in a country where they know that it's not celebrated for them to be here. And so it's definitely something that's heavy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> to your point, uh, there's, a, there's a poet, uh, I believe she's from Kenya. She, the poem's called uh, Home and by Worsen Shire. And she has a line in there and it says, uh, you have to understand that no one puts their children in a boat unless water is safer than land. So I think it's a very powerful, it's a powerful poem, but it's also a very powerful line. 
uh, that speaks to the extent that people go to uh, to just find, again, access to life. So, so yeah, I'm completely with you. Uh, it's terrible. And, and I, I do think it's important to note as well that this, this isn't a new thing by Trump. It's, Trump is, is, is a leader for sure, um, mm. the president of the United States. But this is this is this speaks to the culture and the identity of the United States itself. So Obama was also it was was known to be he was called deporter in chief. More people were deported under his administration than anyone else. Um, his administration also set up like these extra tents and and camps for then Trump to come in and and use them for for housing um, for undocumented people. So. The president is 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 a position that that also reflects the role of the United States in the world, which is an empire. Um, the United States has been this is nothing new. The United States does this. Uh, so when we speak about the identity of the United States, it's it's violence, it's genocide, it's war on the vulnerable. So yeah, so I'm completely with you, uh, children. It's it's horrible. It's all horrible. So with your show and some of the advocacy work that you're doing, what does that look like for you? As far as, for what? As far as Latin people? Yeah, like what you're doing. I know that that's not your sole purpose and everything that you do, but I know that you do a lot there. Yeah, so Woke Wednesdays, I try to do everything and anything that I can. Um, So it's a page. So I post constantly. I also do shows around these issues. I've done shows pertaining to the undocumented experience. Um, I've done shows about being LGBTQ, identifying as LGBTQ, and also being Latinx. Like there's obviously a lot of overlaps of identity. But I think the show also and the page also works to to try to help people. I think that's that's the purpose of it. Um, and for example, one time I got a message from a young girl in North Carolina. She actually worked at a at like a Mexican kind of place, like a like a like a store, and an ICE called actually, and they were and they were saying, hey, uh, are your parents there? Is any, do you have any family members there? I guess they were trying to find out who worked and who was there in the place. And the little girl freaked out, and I, I think she was probably like a teenager or something. And this happened when I first started with Wednesdays, and she DM'd the page. And she told me the situation, and luckily we were we were able to connect her to local activists in the area that were able to provide her with information. So I think the I think sometimes the things that we create and the things we produce, we don't realize how powerful they can be, and they can really like change somebody's life. They can really save someone's life. Um, so I think I'm happy when I see that stuff and I see the page doing that. So I think that's one of the ways in which I try to be involved in in community with people just throughout the country through World Wednesdays. Yeah, that that part about people sending you messages, that's the stuff that I think helps to keep going because there are definitely days where you're like, look, I could, I could say forget all yeah. this. Like, oh, yeah. I don't know if people are listening to what I'm saying. I don't even know if people care. And then somebody will send you a message like that and it's like, Dude, that's okay. some real shit. Real shit, though. Like that's, mm-hmm. yeah. I I feel like that all the time. Like, do people care? Like, do is my work even doing anything? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's a constant. It's, it's... And then you get a little message, or 
or even you saying stuff or oh you know i'm checking out your page it's like oh shit that was dope like it just helps it helps to push you along yeah. um so and that's important yeah that's important especially when you do this type of work because uh, i don't know about you but like i don't get any money from work wednesday like this is stuff that we do like on our own because we want to not a coin okay <laughs> not nothing i would love to uh, don't get me wrong I- don't get me wrong i would love to man it's coming from my heart my heart is yeah yeah absolutely and i think no one puts in the knows the hours that you put into this into creating your little logo into sending the calendar invites and the follow-up messages so you had you sent me a follow-up message and i was just so distracted with wednesday this week which has been insane so like no one sees the little things that you do behind the scenes they just see the product uh, so, yeah, that's yeah, absolutely. I'm with you with that. Yeah, and they think it's so great. And it's like, oh well, thank you because I spent <laughs> so many hours on this one thing, this one little thing. Yeah, absolutely. So when we're thinking about, and I'm, I heard you say on one of your shows, it was about the undocumented experience, and. So within my profession, I am a trauma therapist. So there are a lot of children that come through our location that have had to deal with this in some capacity. And so I get to see some of the behind the scenes stuff, but I don't always know. Like, I don't always know what it feels like or what is going on through their mind. I know my experience as a black female in the United States, but I don't quite know what that experience is for me as an Afro-Latina in the United States. So it's always weird for me and that's why I brought it up earlier like not even even if I didn't identify I do think that this is something that would be very important I'm just an activist at heart like I can't help it at this point but when it does hit home and it's like man this like I know people have struggled with this I know this has been a lot for people and so what do you think from the work that you've done and seen what has been the effect so far to have to live with this whatever we want to call it at this point (laughs) <laughs> yeah um so i i do think so i guess with my work and stuff that i do i'm always trying to find ways to, to build solidarity with people um we, we live in a society that assumes that we have to share some traits in order for us to be in, in solidarity with each other mm-hmm. so as such i think about what kind of creates a solidarity and i think that there are many forms of immigration. So there are many ways that people feel like an outsider in their everyday life. So, I mean, if it means you walking into a room full of white men, if it means you walking into a room where you're the only, I don't know, gay person and everyone else is just imposing their heterosexuality on you. Like there are many forms that you could be an immigrant in your own home because you don't feel safe enough to be around your family. So there are many forms that immigration can, there are many manifestations of immigrancy, I guess. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. So I think that is important when we think about creating solidarity with people. Um, I don't know what it's like to be a black woman. I've never walked in the shoes of a black woman, but I know what it's like to be ostracized and marginalized for other sociopolitical reasons. So I can find solidarity in that with other black women or with black women. But I, so that's important, I think, number one. But I think number two, the way it's impacted communities is just the constant, uh, that constant fear that always exists. I am not undocumented. I was born in the United States. Mm-hmm. And and I say that because even though I'm born in the United States, there is an undocumentedness to me, aesthetically. 
So I've left my house before where I forgot my wallet and I came right back because I was like, no, nah, if I don't have my wallet, that's my identity, that's my license. So I'm already a type of undocumentedness. This, this is not to say that I'm comparing my experience to someone who is undocumented, but it is a form of undocumentedness, which, which is important to this conversation. Uh, so the way I've seen it play out in many communities is this, this constant fear, constant fear, and it sends a message that you are not welcome here, you do not belong here, you only serve one purpose, and that's to pick fruit, uh, you know, to pick vegetables, and we're going to pay you $2 an hour, by the way. So there is a message that is being sent that you are not us, you are them, and therefore stay out. So, and I think that's the constant message of fear that we keep on getting. So, and I think a lot of people can relate to that. A lot of marginalized people can relate to that experience. So I think that is kind of the theme that continues to be spread out. That it's, you're just like, why are you living here? Yeah. Uh, so it's constantly just kind of being aware. You, you know, there, I think it was in 2009, there's a Puerto Rican man in North Carolina. I think he was um, intellectually disabled, I think. And he was deported to Mexico. So people assume that because, well, number one, Puerto Rico is, uh, Puerto Ricans get citizenship, right? So they are American yeah. by birth. It's a U.S. territory. U.S. territory. And yet, that did not stop him from, from being deported. So in Arizona, there was a law passed in 2010 by, I think, the person running for governor who was Jan Brewer. And it was called SB 1070. And the policy said that if you looked undocumented, police were legally able to uh, search you and to stop you, stop and frisk and all that stuff. So again, stuff that constantly, you know, rolls through my mind. Um, so. Because how does somebody look undocumented? Like how? What's it's the simple. descriptor for that? I mean, it's very, and I'm with you. I'm with you 100%. Yeah. But the reality is that, I mean, how does someone look dangerous? Right? This is something, again, it goes back to the conversation of maybe solidarity that I think black and brown people can kind of unite unite on. Just yeah. the idea that you're like a walking threat. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're a walking threat to the American, to the American identity, which is whiteness. So when you are that, then you have to be careful in the ways you move in certain spaces. So at, yeah, so I think that's how people have been kind of conceptualizing a lot of this. This is not to say that a lot of Latinos aren't for Trump or anything like that. A lot of Latin people are pro-Trump. Uh, so, so yeah, so, but for those who aren't. Black people are, and yeah, they're. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> Identity is a complex thing. Um, it's a very complex thing. So, so yeah, so I, I don't agree with it, but yeah. But yeah, so I think as far as trying to answer your question, there's constant fear being spread, um, constant messages that are sent and children end up seeing this and learning this yeah. and but i think because this also happens then that might also activate people to become more involved in act in activist spaces which we end up seeing that maybe white supremacy is not that supreme at all okay because because then if it were extreme just potently supreme then nothing we would all be frozen we would we wouldn't be able to do anything. And yet here you are 
doing a podcast that is moving people to think about certain things. Here I am trying to do what I'm doing. So maybe white supremacy isn't that supreme at all. Maybe it exists, obviously, and it maybe has supreme-like characteristics in its imposition, but it's fragile. Mm-hmm. It it's falls apart when you, cha- when you challenge it. So, and I think maybe, you know, it might be a good thing. Fear can actually activate us to move. Emotions are extremely powerful. I mean, you're a therapist, so I don't tell you this. But emotions <laughs> can lead you to move in a particular way that might be for good. So, yeah. So if fear isn't the end all be all, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and, and it's not. And I think to touch on your point about that's the message that is sending out there. It's the message that's not just being sent to us within our country. Like this is being sent out to the rest of the world. I oh, yeah. went to, um, I can't remember what city in Mexico that I went to, but I went last year. And we went on an excursion, and on the excursion, there was this couple with us from the UK, but they were black, right? And so we're having a conversation, we're getting to know them, and the guy that was with them just started saying off-the-wall stuff that I just was not prepared for in relation to people that were born and raised in Mexico. And so he just started talking, and I'm like, what, what do you see in the UK? Like, what's your understanding? And what he said was, I mean, all we see is what we see on TVs and in the movies. And so far, like, it looks pretty similar to what we know. And I'm like, but y'all have no idea. And just to think that you're not even over here and you have a perspective of something or someone or a group of people that you don't even care to get to know. And you're in their country, like visiting their beautiful country for your luxury and leisure but judging them at the same time for an experience that you can't really relate to on that level. There's this great author, um, one of my favorite authors, his name is Edward Said, a Palestinian scholar. And he wrote a really famous book called Orientalism. And in this book, he argues that for him, the, uh, the Middle East is the Orient. And he says that the Orient was produced by the West or by colonialism. Okay. And that we come to know the Middle East through the eyes of the West. So I'm saying this because to your point about the way we come to know the other is through film, through literature, through sources of media. And it speaks to the power of who gets to narrate the story. So many people, when they see someone who is Middle Eastern, they associate it with maybe some type of terrorist attack. And it's, it's the constant films that we've been exposed to as children. It's either that or Aladdin. Um, and so the way you come to know the other is through this prism of, of mediums, um, of media. So, and then all it takes is one example to confirm your belief. And that's the way stereotypes are perpetuated. So all it takes is one example of anything to confirm what you've been seeing since you're a child. And there you go, stereotypes are created and reproduced. So, yeah. and people don't realize the magnitude of what that does for people. And sometimes they do, and which is the scarier part. That part too, yeah. The right? Is it's, intentional, and you have an agenda. Yeah, Trump is probably the best example that we can think of. Yes. So he, he is the best, and I, I definitely know that this is something that's been going on for a long time. But like you said earlier, I do think him being in office. And I usually don't 
go political, but I don't even think that this is politics at this point. I think it's really just a matter of humanity or not. And we've gotten to a place where it seems like that day in and day out, people have their battle to fight and they have to choose what's worth living for and what's just worth being quiet. And I think it's become a concern for me because I know that there's a whole population here within this country that is living in fear. And I know what it means to live in fear, but I'm not worried about going anywhere if something happens to me. Like I know for the most part, my home is safe. I'm secure in where I'm at. But to think about, I can be born here, I can be raised here, even you making sure that you have your license because at any point somebody can decide to be an asshole for lack of better words. And now you're dealing with something that has nothing to do with you because you were born and raised here. And so it's just, I don't know what it will take or what's going to get us to the point of humanity being okay. Like, why is it an issue for people to be different? The differences are what make up the United States. The United States is the biggest melting pot in the world. Like, we know that. And so why do we hate each other so much? Where does that come from? Like, where did this part originate? So, I I, again, I guess I would say it's, it's part of America's identity. Uh, the idea of the other is, is part of America's. So we talk about borders. Borders do what? They exclude. And you can't have exclusion without inclusion. And you can't have inclusion without exclusion. So some people need to belong in order for the border to be made real. And some people need to not belong in order for the border to be made real. So I think that's important when we talk about immigration and just who gets to be again, which is I think my whole thing about who gets to be that this this is not new. Nationalism, especially as it relates to the United States, is not new. I mean, we, we've also seen different forms of nationalism with Nazi Germany. We've, we've seen the, the, how, how not nationalism just imposes itself on people and it's violent and it's horrible and it exterminates life. Um, so yeah, man, it's, but again, we need you, we need me, we need all these voices in the struggle to continue. Um, Cause it's some wild shit. It, it is wild. And I like, people know, but I don't think they know. And for people like me who have tried to stop watching the news, just so I'm not consumed <laughs> all the time, because it's, you can get wrapped up even like yeah. for those two weeks where Dude, like that what? was the most I watched the news all year just because it's like okay i just need to know what's gonna happen what is the next one of my life gonna look like somebody tell me please dude i was on cnn 24 7 yep it's so much and we don't get a break if it's not racism it's covid if it's not covid it's just it's something to deal with covid with racism like with racism like it's crazy like issues are like you know being older or having some type of illness I'm like, yeah, systemic racism, systemic poverty, all these are forms of underlying issues. Yeah. So look at the people like, yeah, dying. Absolutely. Absolutely. So over what, two hundred thousand people have died. Uh so it, we live in a crazy ass world and this has been a crazy year. But again, I and I so one of my favorite authors, his name is um Dr. Eddie Glaud. He's uh director of the African Diaspora Studies Program at Princeton. Uh, he's a beast. He just came out with this new book called Begin Again, and it's where he examines the life of James Baldwin to try to kind of bring hope. Have you heard of the book? 
No, yeah, have you read I, it? But I, I do love James yeah. Baldwin, though. That's what I was saying. Yeah, James Baldwin, he is my favorite author, hands down. Uh, and so I, so what he argues in this book, Dr. Eddie Glaude, is that in reference to hope, he says what that one time uh, James Baldwin was being interviewed uh, in, in the late 70s. And they asked James Baldwin about what he thought about hope. And Baldwin says that, hope must be reinvented every morning and it's a powerful line because especially as we see what goes on in the world like you said day in day out on the news constantly we have to be able to reinvent hope every single day and sometimes you have to force that hope whether you want to or not uh, one of my other favorite scholars his name is cornell west uh first african-american graduate with a phd from princeton and he, he kind of creates this distinction between having hope and being hope. For him, he says that having hope is good, but having hope can be too spectatorial. Like it's constantly looking in awe and waiting for something to happen as opposed to being hope. When you are hope, you are, you are enacting what you want to see, what you want to be, what you, the world you want to live in. So I think if you can be hope and reinvent that hope every single morning, I think then that in itself, it gives me something to be hopeful for. Uh, so yeah, and I think I, I guess speaking of hope, I also find hope in reading. Reading is mm -hmm. very I'm helpful. I love you dropping. I, I tell people all the oh, time. Oh yeah, yeah, I love please. to drop facts. So the fact that you're coming up here with this person said this, 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 and this. I, oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Feel free, yeah, to, to look up the stuff, yeah. It's important stuff. But I think also within that too is people figuring out what hope feels like for them. Because oh yeah, yeah, hope yeah. Hope looks, like looks so much different for everybody and to reinvent hope when you've lost hope mm. is not a feat. And I think something that's opened my eyes a lot more because of course with all this racial stuff there everybody wants to do racial equity trainings everybody let's oh, let's do Lord. it let's do it and oh, I'm like Lord. Oh. so at work we've done at this oh, point, six <laughs> rounds, but I actually missed this round because I, I took a week off. And so, yeah. but it's like constantly doing, like people wanting to do the work, but relying on the people who are being victimized by what's happening and what the equity is for and looking yeah. to, go to those people to give them the answers. And so when I think about that, it makes it very hard for a person to remain hopeful. And I know it's been hard for me because I'm like, you know, I don't want to talk to nobody. I don't want to yeah. talk to nobody. I really don't want to share my experience anymore. Like, because people can't, I'm tired. And yeah. if people can't come from a place of being solution focused and they're staying in that boat of sympathy, I can't ride with you anymore. Yeah. I was like, I was like, you're not seeing me. You're you're telling me what you feel like I need to hear to move forward, but that's not what is giving me hope. And now yeah. I'm trying to reinvent the wheel for myself so that I can go to work every day. And I'm sure that's the experience for a lot of people is how do I continue to exist in this country and reinvent hope for myself when granted the news, everybody is giving them every reason not to have hope. Like justice is hard to come by sometimes. And so it's things like this that you know, it's wild. Um, I guess I can't stress reading enough. Like, reading has changed my life. I grew up hate. I, I hated reading when I grew, when I was growing up. I thought it was I thought it was racist as fuck because I I didn't speak English. I was in ESOL classes, English speakers of other languages, until like sixth grade. And then in like second third grade, teachers would make me read out loud in English, and I was like, "What the fuck?" 
I was like, you know, I don't speak English, and you're trying to make me do this shit in English. So I hated reading. I had like like really ugly relationship with reading. But then I, I hit graduate school, and I just fell in love with reading. So and I fell in love with Baldwin. And one thing uh, that Baldwin says, there's actually a great essay um, that he wrote, very very short. It's called uh, White Man's Guilt. I recommend everyone read that. Mm-hmm. But we end up building solidarity with people who aren't even alive, and so. James Baldwin reading that was like, oh man, if, if James, if he went through it, then, you know, I guess I can go through it too. It sucks. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. It's some bullshit. We shouldn't have to go through this. Um, there's this video of him actually talking about how he's waited his time. His, it's, it's taken his mother's time. It's taken his uncle's time. He's like, when will things change? Um, this is a video of older Baldwin kind of just expressing himself. He's like, just exhausted. And I and I and I feel and I feel that, um, but he has this one line where he talks. I think it's in the the fire next time, where he talks about how he's like, you know what, people that were enduring chattel slavery in this country had to have imagination. They had to imagine that freedom would come one day. Imagine if they didn't have that. Like, imagine if people did not believe that the world could be better, that the world could be different then maybe we'd still be there. And some would argue that in many ways we are enduring forms of slavery right now, which is we are true. With slavery in its um, true nature but, but that But that form, that form of slavery, people had to imagine that life could be different, that life could be better. And it's hard to do. But I think moments like this where you find somebody else like, oh shit, like, yo, you're, you're also trying to do this work. Okay, cool. Yeah. Like it, that, that's important. That's important, so which is why your podcast is so important. So, yeah. So, what if knowing all that we know, what's happening, what we're fighting against, like, what do you think is something that we can start doing? Like, we know the work that we're doing, but for people listening, that they can start doing to help, like, change the narrative because we know right now the narrative is the issue. The narrative that we have created as the United States with our superiority complex around the rest of the world we have developed that we're the greatest for whatever reason and so i know a lot of people are patriots or whoever consider themselves to be (laughs) however how do you think we start to change the narrative oh man uh uh, i'm sorry i I don't want to tire you with all these balls and quotes but uh he he said uh he said that i love america more than any other country uh, which is why I insist on the right to criticize her perpetually. It was something like that. So insisting on the right to constantly criticize the United States for what it is, I think that's important, um, number one. So we question the narrative. Why is this narrative like this? Who wrote this? For what purpose? But I think for people like that are just trying to educate themselves, that is an important step. And I mean, you spoke to it right now. I'm constantly tired of people coming up to you asking, you know, what can I do to solve racism? Well, dog, like, like, it don't take one. Like, it, it takes, it, it's a lot. And, and I think people can start just by educating themselves. Go read a book. Like, you know, if you have the access to that, if you have the access to reading, and most Americans are not very literate, if you have access to reading and to educating yourself, if you have Netflix, watch 13, uh, there are many things that you can do to educate yourself. Um, but there's this other person, his name is Brian Stevenson. He's an attorney. Uh, and a movie just came out about him, actually, with Michael B. Jordan and Jamie Foxx. Oh, it was so good. Um, so good. I forgot, I forgot what it's called. Um, 
but he has this thing where he has a bunch of TED Talks uh, on YouTube, uh, which I highly recommend, Brian Stevenson. And one thing that he says is talking about getting proximate to the issue. So you can't begin to learn unless you get proximate. And proximity can also involve just not being com very comfortable. So learning about racism can be an uncomfortable experience. But also living through that shit and experiencing it is also an uncomfortable experience. Every day. So every <laughs> fucking day. Um, so I think for people that are trying to learn, I think that's where you kind of start, get proximate to the issues that you care about. Um, and, and you'll see what happens little by little. It's crazy. So Woke Wednesday, I've had to learn to fundraise um, because I'm trying to do this TV studio thing and it's very expensive. And I have a friend, uh, I went to high school in Greensboro, uh, white boy. And I remember him and I were tight in high school. And then undergrad came along, we were so cool. And then at his wedding, he, he decides to just get off and, and just do all these little racist jokes in front of all his racist Southern family. And so after that, I never talked to him again, ever, 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 ever. Years later, he tunes into a Woke Wednesdays episode. Back in the day, I used to do Woke Wednesdays through Instagram Live. And I was like, what the fuck? He's, he's tuning in. And then he tunes in again the following week. And I was like, this is weird. So then I text him, I'm like, hey man, like, what's up, what's good? We start talking and then I end up telling him why I haven't talked to him in all these years. And then he felt terrible. Um, and this is, and I think he helped me learn about why we shouldn't really, I don't really like cancel culture, but he's been, he, I think in many ways he taught me about that. And he, he started to learn, like he started to kind of, just kind of take a step back. He started to, after I told him that story, he reflected a lot. And he started texting me little by little. And now he'll text me stuff like, hey, uh, I'm doing this, this, and this, this work. And I'm like, no way. He's like, yeah, I'm doing all this work to try to address issues that affect, directly impact Latin people. And I was like, man, that's amazing. And he's actually become the number one uh, donor for Woke Wednesdays and on all the stuff that we do. So people can grow, people can change. Um, Malcolm X said that I want, uh, he said, what did he say? Uh, I didn't always know what I know now, um, but it, it took someone to educate me. He said it was something like that. I definitely butchered the quote. Um, but like, people can change, people can become, we can all be, a, uh, we can all be a force for good, even in the midst of our flaws. And, and I think as far as like people changing, what can people do? Well, get proximate to the issue and reflect on yourself, man, like, and, and try to learn if you can. And once you do learn, if you have resources and stuff, share them with people, share them with black women, share them with black men, share them with the disenfranchised brown people. And, and now my, he's now my friend again, we're tight now. And he's also become a donor for what was it? Like, yeah. people can be great uh, when we allow them to be, mm -hmm. so. But that's a valid point cancel culture and I, I will I try to be very transparent up here so I will say that cancel culture is definitely something that I've struggled with and I think where the struggle has come with for me is that sometimes it's so much pressure to and when I say pressure it's, it's weird when I think about it that way but it's pressure to like how woke are you like how, how are you in this process like why aren't you offended by this thing and so then it's like well okay let's find offense to everything and that's not to say that there aren't things to be offended about because there are but it's what is the balance now 
And the narrative that keeps getting pushed is not the narrative just outside of us. It's also the narrative that we build within each other while we're trying to figure this out. And so cancel culture becomes one very toxic, but also very prevalent because people's feelings are hurt. Like, I want everybody to realize that anger comes from a place of sadness most times. Like, anger is a very surface level emotion. If you're angry about something, you're upset or hurt or sad or some other emotion underneath. So when we think about people canceling, it's because, man, I was really offended by that. Or why would that person say that? And so you want to just separate yourself from that person because now you've decided this is who this person is. And so that's been my work, too, is like, okay, they're trying. Like, you can tell that they're trying to have a conversation. They're trying to mend things. They're trying to make a difference somehow. You may not agree with all the words that they use, but we also have to realize that there is a culture difference here. And so so, what you say and may not realize that it is detrimental for me to hear you say this, you may not understand that that's what you're doing to me. And so sometimes, yes, I can put myself in a space to say, okay, maybe you weren't being rude or intentionally racist. Maybe you're just, you know, bred this way because unfortunately our country has been shifted so long that viewpoints do exist and they came from somewhere and it takes takes a lot of unlearning to relearn stuff. And I just want us all to recognize that yes it is uncomfortable but it's uncomfortable for all of us like we're all uncomfortable in some way and we're all trying to figure it out and so everybody just do the best you can with what you got but please at least try try. like and that's the thing where i struggle with is i don't think that everybody tries but i would also give people a chance too so facts facts i already saw that show on netflix that she's gotta have it yes uh there was one point where uh someone tells somebody that like you're trying is toxic so mm. you you can be trying you can be trying hard but sometimes that trying is toxic and it's like yo yeah, I'm, just not, I'm just not trying to deal with that and dave Chappelle had this line about how he feels that we all have to be socially precise because um, if you're not precise then you get canceled um mm-hmm. so i guess for me I, I i want to try to live up to the idea that we should counsel not counsel um and then that's important. We just did an episode on um, this cancel culture allow Black Lives to Matter. So, yeah, I can send it wow. to you. Yes. Yeah, and it was dope. Please. We had a cool panel talking about it. Um, so, yeah. So, what does it mean to cancel Black life when historically the United States has done a great job at already canceling Black life? In fact, terminating right. it. Mm-hmm. So, what does it mean to cancel our most vulnerable populations? instead of allowing them to grow. I'm not saying it's just easy because this is hard. This is this is hard work. It's hard work, um, yeah. It is. But, you know, it's important work nonetheless. Nonetheless, and no growth happens without discomfort. If you ever feel like you just grow with all these flowers sitting around you, for a lack of better words, because I'm trying not to use this word up here, you crazy. <laughs> you crazy. Yeah, 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 yeah. And be in comfort yeah. and think that no, something's going to change. change. We don't, we don't thrive, thrive in comfort. comfort. So, so, yes, it, it may be fragile for you to hear, and, and it may be a shock, shock because, because learning, learning something, something that you've been doing, doing for a long time, time taking, taking racism outside, is just like realizing that you have been doing something over and over and over again, and then realizing the impact of that. That's, that's hard, hard to sit with. with. And then it's, it's like, like yeah. now, now what's the conversation, conversation that you're having with yourself about, about this realization? Because yes, you realize, realize what you've been doing, but also there's somebody else on the other side of what you have been doing. Have been doing. And so, so I, think I think another, another part too that, that I would add with us wrapping up is just the compassion Because we all come into it with like everybody is legitimately trying the best that they can. 
Now, now whether, whether their best match to mine, I can't, I can't say, say that. that. But everybody's best, best looks different. Everybody's story looks different. different. Everybody's race is different. different. Everybody different. We're all coming to the table, table with some, 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 something different. different. But what, but what can we do to make this table, table be for everybody to sit at? Where I don't have to worry about you looking at me a certain way because I speak differently. Or I don't have to worry about you looking at me because my hair sits differently. Or just whatever the thing is that we bring into the room to separate us all. So I'm definitely really appreciative of you coming up here and talking to me about this. Yeah, I appreciate you hanging out and reaching out. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. So this is the part of the show um, that I like to end with called Let's Advocate. And so if you could change anything about the state of mental health within the culture of the United States, what that looks like, what would that one thing be? I could change anything. That's the most loaded question of all. Uh, Always loaded, yes, yes. Uh, hmm. I don't know, I guess I would, I would say that we, I guess, humanize people. I mean, when it comes to mental health, uh, we're all battling with something. Yeah. Uh, whether we realize it or not. Uh, I just wish we lived in a world uh, that allowed us, that didn't impose the very things that make us go through certain things in the first place, but also just allowed us to kind of exist and, and deal with these things um, without being just in, the, in, the, in a place where we don't feel like we can, especially for men. Um, it's because men, men are just taught not to express emotions and to share their emotions or maybe not i shouldn't say especially for men but also no, for I men agree. i agree um because oftentimes when we do express ourselves we're either drinking uh or doing in in some way that is not very healthy so so yeah so i just did an episode on violence against men and that was mental health was something that we talked about so yeah if i could change something i guess i would i would i would hope that we humanize others uh and i think yes that's pretty much it yeah definitely bring humanity back and that's on both sides too that's you working on what you're working with and the person that you seek out for help oh yeah something that i've been advocating a lot a lot more for recently because in school they teach us to be robots they teach us Mm. basically to take what we take from clients and to be the professional and to not disclose too much and all of these different rules and borders that it puts us into (laughs) and so then it's like the stuff that you will deal with sometimes in a session for the sake of you have taken your humanity off to help somebody else and Mm. so so intersectionality when you get a chance since you love to read is definitely something if you haven't heard of that you should look into yeah Kimberly Crenshaw yes I love it so much and then there aren't I don't agree with every single aspect because there are some things that make me nervous and I'm just like oh I'm not there yet give me a second but (laughs) on the same turn I think it does help connect more and it does bridge that gap because a lot of people don't come and get help because they feel like the person on the other side is a professional or they're going to judge them or they don't want anybody in their head because there's a distrust for the system and so definitely humanity on both sides absolutely that's a great point mm-hmm. great great point yeah so show, tell people where to follow you where to find you so they can listen to yeah. the show and uh, at Woke Wednesdays at Woke Wednesdays on Instagram uh, Facebook YouTube it's all the same Woke Wednesdays one word subscribe to YouTube uh, follow on Instagram like on Facebook all those good things I just found your Instagram too, so uh, I started following. Yeah, so yep, that's pretty much it. 
Thanks for tuning in. It's Tiana Renee here. To make sure you stay up to date on all information related to Cope for the Culture, be sure to follow us on social media. We are on Instagram at Cope for the Culture Podcast, Twitter at Cope, the number four, the culture, and on Facebook at Cope for the Culture Podcast. As always, I appreciate you for tuning in. Bye, y'all.
Thanks for tuning in. It's Tiana Renee here. To make sure you stay up to date on all information related to Cope for the Culture, be sure to follow us on social media. We are on Instagram at Cope for the Culture Podcast, Twitter at Cope, the number four, the culture, and on Facebook at Cope for the Culture Podcast. As always, I appreciate you for tuning in. Bye, y'all. Bye.